What I found is that the harder I gave effort into my quote-unquote recovery exercise, then the more I would feel explosive in the first exercise I was doing. So, And that's a lot of people have a hard time grasping that concept too is, well, they want to maybe conserve, you know, um, energy in their tasks so that they could, you know, go back and do their initial task better. Mm -hmm. But what I found is that if the, the more you give maximal effort in that recovery exercise you're doing, then the more the more explosiveness, the better you feel going back into that first exercise. And it's a huge leap that you kind of have to take in your paradigm because mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense in the normal strength and conditioning world. That was Dr. Mark Wetzel, and welcome to another episode of the show. It is fantastic to have you all here. And um, if you guys haven't figured this out, I really secretly just love doing this show so that even for me at the age of 37, I can just figure out things to be a little bit better in my own training. I still train for speed and power and, and being the best athlete I can be even at, even though I'm probably a few years past my prime. But doing chats like this with Dr. Mark about some of the nuances of not only isometrics and focus and intention, but what we're going to get into in this episode with energy systems recovering each other and long burst uh, energy systems recovering short burst energy systems and, and vice versa. Uh, just so many dots connect for me in my own training history and those times where I was at my best explosively. Stuff just starts to make sense and it's things that I didn't learn in a textbook or my college experience or anything like that. And so I always, every time these connections can happen, I, I'm just such a, I'm always just loving it. And so Dr. Mark Wetzel is a chiropractic neurologist based out of Nashville, Tennessee, he has been a two-time guest on this show before going in-depth on Extreme Isometrics, a training system that was pioneered by Jay Schroeder, and just getting in-depth in what's happening with isometrics and long isometric holds from an energy system perspective, a neurological perspective. Dr. Mark is one of the most intelligent performance. Um, he's a chiropractor, but he also does human performance and coaching, and just one of the most intelligent guys I know in this area. And especially, too, in, in his ability to get into the physiology and really make it come alive because he's tying it to something that's very relevant. Anyways, for this show, and Mark having done two shows previously on very extreme isometrics and everything that goes into them, uh, this show is really going to get into extreme isometrics and long holds from a perspective of intention and focus and what's happening from a mind-body perspective when I'm going through these this exercise and, and I'm, I'm focusing versus I'm distracted. What does that mean uh, for my training result? And what does that mean from how it's going to transfer to sport? What are these commonalities I've seen between the two? And then even life itself. This isn't really about the isometric. You could apply this to any exercise. Any exercise with a significant demand or strain uh, or training load on the athlete. This is just one of those things that... We, we just tend to look at exercises so much. This is an awesome reading between the lines, reading to into the emotional state and the, the holistic state of the athlete as they go through these things. The back end of the show, Dr. Mark is going to chat about how one energy system can recover another. And to me, if you're into programming, this is training gold. Uh, and it really explains a lot. It explains a lot of things I think we don't talk about, such as how, and we'll get into this, but like how I could improve my long jump by a foot by running a 110-meter hurdle race right before it versus just warming up the traditional way. 
what is going on with a short burst energy system and a longer burst energy system, or even a medium energy system and a really long energy system? How can we superset these and complex these in a way that we can get more performance? We, we can just get a bigger boost out of the short or the long based off um, being able to complex and contrast and wave load energy systems. We don't talk about that in training enough, and it's really relevant. And if you want to get the best out of your own training or your athletes, it's something to be familiar with. I've found so much gold in it, and it's helped me to connect so many dots of my past training history and things I've also seen out of my athletes, and then there's a lot of things I'm experimenting with it now. I know you guys are going to love this podcast. Every time I talk to Dr. Mark, I am just blown away and have just I feel like my knowledge is upgraded every single time, and I know you guys are going to love it. Let's get on to the show, episode 231 with Dr. Mark Wetzel. Mark, man, it's awesome to have you back on the show. And so, you know, something I, I don't, I think maybe it was like a little over a year ago, we talked um, on the podcast and something that's been rattling around my brain is this idea of with extreme ISOs. Um, why, why five minutes? Why do a lunge or a push up or whatnot for five minutes versus just two to three? What do you gain in the last two minutes or so of that movement and moving towards five that really makes that that last grinding or I don't know if grinding is the right word, but that last difficult portion really worth it. Um, so if we kind of go back to my first podcast, we talked a little bit about the energy systems and obviously the last energy system, the Cori cycle is very beneficial to growth in the body. It starts the process of gluconeogenesis, which is basically using protein to, to rebuild things in your body that are stressed. And under stress, good stress, your body adapts and grows back stronger. So, like I said, the first energy system is lasts on 10 seconds. The second one is about 10 to 30 seconds. And the third one is usually around 30 seconds to three minutes, kind of get into that aerobic phase. And the last two minutes is when you can really start to tap in to that Cori cycle. So the core cycle obviously is when the burning and it gets very uncomfortable and you kind of have to figure out a way to, to withstand the pain or your body is essentially telling you to not do it and you need to figure out a way to, to keep fighting and going through it. So our body doesn't necessarily like staying in that phase because when we contract muscle or right, our action potential, our cells you know, our, our cells have these channels that allow ions to go in and out of the cells and our body likes homeostasis. And so when we, when we fire a muscle, these channels open up and potassium and calcium and sodium and all these different ions, they, they transfer back and forth. And when it starts those channels, they stay open and the body has to use a tremendous amount of resources to keep them open, to basically keep the muscle contracting. And one of the things that it uses is acetylcholine. So acetylcholine keeps those channels open. And so when acetylcholine gets broken down, we have an enzyme that breaks it down and it dissipates the, ch the channels close and then our cells can go back to homeostasis. So when they stay open, our body essentially has to figure out a way to create homeostasis while those channels stay open, while we're continually doing work with our muscles. And so keeping those channels open is, is when that three to five minute window is most, it essentially is the most time that you can keep those channels open and get the most gain from it. Let's put it that way. 
So our body has to figure out a way to create homeostasis while keeping these channels open is very hard to do. And so our body wants to stop it. And as soon as we stop, as soon as we fidget, as soon as we break position, as soon as we think of something else, that acetylcholine gets broken down. And we essentially have to reopen those channels by using more acetylcholine. So when we lose focus or the intention during those three to five minutes, we essentially restart the process. So I don't know, a lot of people, or I don't know if you've had this problem, but when you stop that first time you're holding an ISO, and if you stop at like, like that three minutes and 30 seconds, or maybe you, you wobble, and then you have to get back into position, now it's really hard to stay for that last yep. minute and a half. You're like really, really, really trying to go through that. And so when you lose that intention, your body has to restart that process. And now you're essentially starting over from scratch. So you're not getting that, uh, you're not trying to reach homeostasis by staying open. You, you have to redo it. And that creates a massive amounts of energy. And so you get tired and you fatigue and things like that. So it's kind of hard to like, just say like, yeah, you get this gain from three to five minutes. It's, it's, you're getting really, really efficient at creating homeostasis within those, within that position. And so if your body is able to do that position easier, then it's going to translate into whatever it is you're doing in life. So for instance, a lunge, if you're able to hold the lunge longer, then it's going to translate into you being able to run faster, more efficiently. Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be better at your sport. It's just saying that now I'm going to be able to do this task easier. I don't have to think about it because I've already put that under stress and my body is adapted in a way that's going to allow me to do that task without much thought and then not using as many resources as it has in the past. So that's kind of like the biggest thing, that three to five minute window. And again, it's not so much like I need to grunt it out and hold that five minutes because it's going to make me better at what I'm doing. It's really more of how much can I stay focused and how much can I hold the intention of what I'm doing in that three to five minute window is going to exponentially make you more successful at whatever you're trying to accomplish outside of doing the isometric. So in a nutshell, it's not, maybe it's not so much about just the raw five minutes as this magical entity as it is. It's more the how of how you got there. Like two athletes, if one athlete gets to five minutes in an isometric and they're grunting and grinding and breathing is all off and chest breathing and they're like visibly, you can see it on their face that they're dying versus another one who maintains breathing and stays cool and calm and has like this this crazy level of focus. It, it almost seems like it's more beneficial. Well, I'm trying to reconcile this with what you said about pushing through the lactate and the Cori cycle, but it seems like the ability to go far into an ISO without getting into true discomfort because of your focus and intention is probably like one of the stronger things you can do. But then you, you did talk about like fighting through, you're fighting through the burn to try to turn over energy systems. That's at least my simplified way of putting that with the Cori cycle and all that. And I know we'll get to that with later in the talk with the energy systems. But so what what is the value then of fighting through the burn? Or I guess fighting through it, I mean, how do you, I guess, quote unquote, fight through the burn in these ISOs? And then- It's more about figuring a way to be comfortable with the burn. So it's, it's your body is saying, don't do it. Now you need to consciously figure out a way to say, hey, this is okay. And it's actually good for me. 
right? So mm-hmm. you're trying to flip the idea behind it of your body thinks something terrible is happening to me, but in reality, you know, nothing terrible is happening to you. Mm-hmm. So you need to figure out a way to be okay with it. You need to fig- know that, Hey, what's happening is normal process. And if I can figure out a way to stay calm and collective during this, then it's actually going to be more to my advantage. So it's like flipping the, the intention behind it to just something good. So, and like I said, I see a lot of people with the isometrics and they do do that with like what you were saying, they, they hold it and they're just like, I need to get to this five minutes because they think that, you know, something great's going to happen if I get to this five minutes, but they're sitting there and they're grunting towards it. And you can see them starting to lean forward because they're fatiguing maybe in their hip flexors. And then all of a sudden they, they jolt themselves back and they're mm-hmm. like, all right, I need to sit up straight. Maybe they do one good breath. And then all of a sudden their eyes start to fidget and they like look, turn in their head and you can sense this fear of like, oh no, I'm failing. And then they try to hold on to that. Now I'm not saying that that shouldn't happen because it is going to happen because when you first do them, that's, that's a normal response. But as you continually do them, you need to understand that, that during that three to five minutes, that that's going to happen, but you need to change the perception of why that's happening. And it's almost like this is a good thing. Stay calm and collective. Now, how can I make this better? And like I said, if you maybe have calm breathing or maybe you just focus on one thing on the wall and just talk to yourself inside your head and just be like, I can hold on. I can hold on. I can do this. I can do this. Right. Because when you talk to yourself like that, you actually give or you release like dopamine, if like positive reinforcement and dopamine is going to help you hold on just slightly longer. And so a lot of it is in your head too. Like, what am I even thinking about? So it's, it's just changing how you view of what's going on. I think is super powerful, especially in that three to five minutes when you are nearing the end of that isometric and, you know, whatever set position you're holding it in. So I know how you, you'd said, the transfer can be not not just to like some elements of sport, like energetically, efficiently being able to repeat things over and over. Because I believe that was one of the things that's been said of at least of like Jay's athletes is they had just such a huge Jay Schrader, who, you know, the father of this kind of method, yeah. that those athletes could just go and go and go and, and not really slow down and be able to repeat uh, motions over and over again is one of the things I at least had heard. And that makes sense with being just becoming that much more efficient in the position I like what you said about like perception in the sense, and I've, I've had this idea that so often in training, and I think the isometrics are a perfect place for this, but are anything that's really lighter weight, like body weight is a, a better place versus a, having a really heavy weight on you or something where there is a potential for body injury. But when like, I, I remember I first thought of this when I was doing um, like a mace bell, I was doing like a push up on a mace bell where it's kind of like a one-arm push-up. You're, you're holding the mace bell and one, the ball is on the ground and you're, you're, the other arm is in the air. And it's kind of an awkward uh, one-arm push-up. And you'll get to the bottom and it's hard because something, it's usually like some muscle group isn't strong enough. But I think the general response is usually, well, I'm not strong enough at the bottom, so I'm just not going to go all the way down or I'm not going to do this. And I had this idea like, no, go to the bottom and just feel, well, just feel it. Like feel what's tired. Feel yeah. what could, Feel what's strong. Don't treat it as a, I'm not strong enough down here. Just go there. And then maybe your body will learn how to deal with it. Like, don't perceive it as I'm not strong enough down here. Maybe just perceive I haven't figured it out down here. And that was yeah. a, a big breakthrough for me because I think that it was a reframing. And I and again, I think this goes into sport because I see the, I've seen the transfer. I've seen athletes who just don't get to play that much. And then you have in their sport, 
or they have just like they're up and down mentally or they just don't have like they're just not like laser focused like other athletes are and then you watch them do the isometrics and you watch them get under fatigue and you see the, mm-hmm. all these dissociations happening you see their head like going up and the eyes going straight up or straight down or their breathing's all wonky and they can't it's almost like you see when you really put someone under pressure be it in a sport or an isometric i think a lot of times you kind of see the same maybe not the same but pretty similar occurrences and so I, I guess beyond even the energy systems, and I do think that's fascinating. I, I'm excited to like play this back and edit it so I can like go over that and take some more complete notes with all that stuff. And X-Fizz would have been way cooler if you were teaching it and we were doing ISOs as we were learning it too. I would have been way more <laughs> with it, with that stuff. But anyways, I just think that it's all so much more relevant when you can tie it to the sporting result. And so can you talk a little bit about the, well, maybe about if you, what you've seen with that as well, like what people do in ISOs versus in sport. And then I'd like to get on, touch on the breathing element of it all a little bit more too, because I know that's a big thing. And I'm not sure how much, we did talk about that in the other shows, but maybe if we can talk on it in re- relation to this in the last few minutes of an isometric. Yeah. So wait, so what was the first question? What you want me to oh, just, about? oh, sorry. I, I, I have a habit of this. Um, okay. So just uh, maybe your experiences with athletes or individuals and what you see in the midst of fatigue in an isometric and how that might relate to things outside of that, uh, their life outside of that, their sport play outside of that. Well, yeah. So, I mean, they're compensations, right? So if you fatigue in an isometric, that you're going to explain a compensation, and it is funny, too, because when you were talking about that, the head position is a really big one. So when people start to get uncomfortable, they'll move their head a lot. And uh, well, actually, people will do one of three things. Number one, they'll move their head a lot. Or number two, they won't move their head, but they'll move their eyes a lot. <laughs> or number three, they'll start grunting and yelling. And actually, those three go hand in hand with what type of person you are or essentially your modality or the way you best learn. So if I'm a visual learner, usually the people that suffer or when they start to fail in ISOs, their eyes. That's me. That's me, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. So, so their eyes will just start to wander. It's not so much. You're like moving and fidgeting. I mean, you might, you're going to move your head a little bit, but the eyes is what you're going to see. You're going to look up to the left, down to the right. You're going to look straight. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to open them. And you're just going to see this fear almost in their eyes. And if you're an auditory person or you're going to, you're going to yell a lot, or you're going to get loud, you're going to grunt and you're going to swear. And it's just your expressing way because you need to, you need sound, you need to hear. And then if you're kinesthetic, the third way of learning or learning by moving there, those are the fidgety ones. So those are the ones where their hands are like white knuckled onto something, or they're going to grab their shorts and things like that. But anyways, to answer your question, those display in normal stressors too. So if you're that type of person where the eyes wander, if you get in an uncomfortable situation with like a coworker or a boss, you're going to do the same thing. Your eyes are literally going to start to wander. You're not going to look at them. You're maybe going to step back because you want to see the whole room. You want to view out the whole situation. That's going to be comfortable for you. Whereas like an auditory person, they may start raising their voice or yelling or getting aggressive because that's kind of their defense mechanism. And if you're a kinesthetic person, same thing. They're gonna they're just gonna look really agitated, fidgety. They're gonna kind of hold on to something. Maybe they always have a pen in their hand and they're twirling it or things like that. But the thing is, is those compensations that happen in isometric are gonna happen in the same stressful situation in real life. And so what's cool about these isometrics is that you can actually keeps it'll teach you how to keep calm 
under, you know, real life situations. It really has nothing to do with your sport. Like every time you get better at your sport through isometrics, it's, um, it's a benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I do isometrics, I do it for more of just being good at, at, at life, the, you know, the game of life. So I love that because you can literally see where people are fearful and, and you know, when they do an isometric and, and then how it plays out in their normal life. And you're like, oh, I, so when you get nervous, you, you definitely do this with your hands or things like that. And they're like, oh, my God, all the time. I do it all the time. So it's kind of cool how that translates. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about two units that Simply Faster now has out that are excellent for training data collection in measuring bar speeds, sprint metrics, limb speeds, and more. The first is the VMAX Pro. If you're interested in barbell tracking technology that is affordable for the individual athlete in the garage gym, but yet is accurate enough to be trusted by professional teams, then you might be interested in the VMAX Pro. The VMAX Pro is a tiny sensor that attaches to the barbell or even the body to help with lifting and jump training metrics. It'll give you immediate feedback for jumps, lifts, and even measure the motion of the bar in 3D. It includes a travel pouch and the associated app works on both Android and iOS devices. You can auto-regulate with precision with the VMAX Pro. The second unit is the Muscle Lab IMU. If you want to take your movement training to the next level, then the IMU is something you would definitely want to look into, as it's a pocket-sized sensor that can attach anywhere on the body and deliver research-grade motion real-time. With it, you can collect ground contact times during sprints, limb speeds for jumping and throwing, and even support return-to-play metrics. The sensor fuses with the rest of the Muscle Lab sensor system for even deeper insights. You can improve your movement data and get measurement that matters today with the Muscle Lab IMU unit. You can improve the depth of your workout metrics with these two pieces of technology. And if you're interested, you can head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Check out their online store where you can find these pieces and improve the depth of your training metrics today. Let's get on back to the show. Yeah, I I know uh, after spending a certain amount of years as a strength coach, I mean, I was always looking for stuff that went beyond just barbells and sets and reps. I, I wasn't you know, hyper stimulated by just the idea of just getting someone stronger at these lifts and saying I did my job. I always wanted to get, you know, as, as deep into different things as much as I could. And I remember towards um, the last few years I spent as an NCAA strength coach, I was really getting into what happens when you put people under pressure in those isometrics. And that was one of the biggest, honestly, that was one of the biggest almost flow states for me as a coach in my whole experience as a coach. Cause it's just, it's so like raw and co- connected and just so much of the art of it all it just you have to it's something that you can't get in just a textbook you have you reading athletes and seeing how they respond to these pressures and what happens to them yeah. in those isometric positions that was uh really eye-opening for me and so i i just like i had a huge benefit out of that uh, and so people are naturally good at that right the the so-called athletes that don't really need to work out and they're really good at their sport is they that's that's them they are they can stay calm and collective under pressure and so they're probably going to be really good at isometrics but usually those people you know the the very talented athletes when they're that young they and i'm not saying this for all athletes but they either get hurt, right, because they get to a level where the competing is high and then, and then they do end up getting injured because they don't take care of their body as well as they can. Um, or they just kind of drop off and sports aren't really for them. It just kind of sucks because I'm sure there's lots of Tiger Woods and Michael Jordans out there that just decided that they didn't want to do sports. But people can do it on their own. So, 
Yeah. What uh, I don't think we, I don't know if we talked about this on any of the others. Uh, this is just something that's interesting to me because I have children and they're, they're getting old. They're two and four now. And I, maybe they're one and three or younger the last time we talked. But I watch, like sometimes my kids will watch me do an isometric and they'll like try to copy it, which they're not very good at the lunge. But they, well, I'll tell you, my daughter, she's four and she did a, a handstand for like 50 seconds. And it just didn't even look like every time they do that stuff, it just looks really effortless. And I just am like, I'm totally blown away. Like, I think if she cared to, she probably could have stayed up there you know, substantially longer. It's almost like we, as we get older, we process, uh, something goes differently in the way we process. I saw the same thing in rock climbing. Maybe that's a better example is those, those, all those little kids rock well, climbing when I was rock climbing. Kids can hang forever. Oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, they put me to shame, like just to utter shame. And yeah, they're lighter, but still, it's like, it's almost like there's something going on in their energy systems their their mindset something something is different fundamentally than an adult doing that and that that yeah. left me wondering as well so um yeah maybe their their breathing perhaps could be a big part of that I, I, so you had mentioned i think um i forget if it was it while we were talking or before but the idea of um, breathing four seconds in eight seconds out diaphragmatic breath uh could you talk about how that uh, just how that really fits in with, I mean, you have really, but just um, talk a little bit about that and staying in that state. I, I, I just briefly, because I know we talked, we touched on another podcast, but just to kind of rehash it quickly in light of what we're uh, talking about, and then we'll, well get to the next thing. I think what I talked about in the last podcast was just that breathing is super important, and you belly breathing, or di- well, I would say diaphragmatic breathing, because I don't think diaphragmatic and belly breathing are two different things. But um, the basically the book that I got me into the it's basically exhaling longer than you inhale. And there's a book called Oxygen, Oxygen Advantage. And it basically goes into why that's so important. And so it's it's getting your body more CO2 tolerance. So when we have CO2 in our blood, so that's the exchange. Once oxygen gets exchanged in our cells, we disperse CO2. And so when we exhale, we are getting rid of CO2. Um, but when we uh, have too much CO2 in our body, Uh, we start to freak out. So our sensors are saying, hey, if there's too much CO2, then that must mean that there's not enough oxygen. And so we start to increase our respiration. And when we're increasing our respiration, it's actually more to deal with breathing out the CO2 than breathing in the oxygen. So CO2 tolerance is a huge indicator or good indicator for just overall stress and anxiety. So if you are a very anxious person, then your body cannot handle or tolerate CO2 very well. And like I said, and then a response to do that is we make our breaths more shallow because we're trying to exhale more. And then that's also a vicious cycle because that's not then using your diaphragm. Um, So he's saying in this book that if you breathe in for shorter than when you exhale over time, let's just say you start with in for one or inhale for one count, exhale for two counts. And then once you get used to doing that, um, then you can inhale for two and then you exhale for four counts. And then, you ex- and then you get better at that and that's inhale for three, exhale for six and so on. But it's literally when you, when you train that, you're, you're feels like you're suffocating yourself. Um, and that's actually a good thing because you're now you're forcing your body to be tolerant to the CO2 inside of you. But what that does is it makes your next inhale way more efficient because now you have to utilize the oxygen of what you're getting. 
So it's called the Bohr effect. So you're literally just getting more efficient at utilizing the oxygen that you are getting. And so that's very, very, very um, beneficial. Um, there's lots of studies that are showing that um, the more tolerance you are to CO2, just the better uh, like lifestyle you live. Um, less stress, less anxiety. You're not. You're more calm and collective and things like that. So um, I... I'm at the point where like the in four out eight is kind of my threshold. And so I definitely use that. Um, when I do my isometrics, I'll try to literally breathe in for four and out for eight every single time. And it's cool because you have to learn to breathe for an in count of four when you're under stress or you're under the stress of an isometric is really hard because you actually want to inhale super fast because you're trying to get, you know, this oxygen under or into your body as quickly as possible. Um, and then and then exhaling for eight is like the longest eight seconds you can think of when you're especially doing an isometric. But the in for four, out for eight is just where I'm at when it comes to going in. And and it's it seems to be doing me very well. And I'm not really sure if I'll go in for five or out for 10. I don't know if there's going to be more advantage, advantages to doing that. Um, I've heard through the grapevine that, you know, Jade, Schroeder uses the in for four, uh, but he does it where you're in four, you hold for a count of one, and then you exhale for a count of eight and hold for a count of one. That's kind of been his staple too. So and I'll probably just stick with that because I don't see anything wrong with it. But it's more about getting your body used to CO2 being in your blood because the more you're used to it, then the more efficient you're going to be at utilizing the oxygen when you take that next inhale. And so that's I think the most beneficial thing when it comes to that breathing, when you're in for four, out for eight type mentality. Yeah. And to something we were talking about before we started recording this is um, we were talking about nerve, recovering the nervous system uh, from, from intense bouts of work. So ex explosive work or heavy weightlifting or jump, you know, plyometrics and stuff. And you had mentioned that, that breathing would play a role in that. So if I'm doing my, let's say I'm doing isometrics, I'm trying to use that to recover from an explosive session. And I think we'll talk about this later in the energy systems portion. But if I'm doing the breathing wrong, if I'm like grunting through it, or I'm like three seconds, three seconds in, two seconds out, then I'm pretty much killing my recovery there doing that at my nervous system recovery versus a, a, a quick in or a, a, sorry, a, a shorter in longer out type series. Well, yeah. So the, I mean, um, uh, our, ner our nervous system has a parasympathetic and a sympathetic. And obviously, the sympathetic is the fight or flight. The parasympathetic is the rest and digest, just to sum it up. And so when you breathe slow and you have long exhales, long inhales, your brain, basically, you're tricking your brain thinking that you are in a parasympathetic state. So when you start breathing shallow and light and short, then your brain thinks you are in a sympathetic state. So you can trick your brain into thinking you are staying calm and collective by forcing your breathing to stay long, slow, low, using diaphragmatic breathing. And so you'll never really reach that sympathetic state, which um, when, when you're training or even in sport um, and in just majority of life, you don't, you don't want to stay in your sympathetic state um, for the majority of the day. And unfortunately, in this day and age, most people are in it for the majority it's, it's reversed and so you kind of you're training that aspect which is the benefits are endless from doing that too so yeah i imagine i mean a lot of people talk about that parasympathetic state like we want that for recovery we want to train a lot in it but my question would be 
what about for things like if I am trying to lift a heavy weight or do like some really explosive jumps or some fast sprints or maybe I'm a track athlete or a short, short distance swimmer. Um, do you have any take on things like that where like, okay, like maybe I, I think I was talking with Leo Ryan a little bit about this, I believe on a breathing episode, maybe 10, 15 episodes ago. But what do you think about the idea of um, like, okay, like I have to get my, I have to amp my system up for a little bit versus more of a continual parasympathetic state. Um, yeah. So I think, I think you need to let the body choose um, when, when it needs to be in that sympathetic state. So um, getting aroused, right. is going to make you in that sympathetic state, but the, the way I was taught and I, I'm not like, I don't know if I have the research to back this up. It's more just from experience is that the, the more you can stay in your parasympathetic state or the longer you can, then the more control you have of going into your sympathetic state. Um, and then, then the, the switch is greater. So if I'm in a sympathetic state for longer periods of time, then I go to my parasympathetic. Um, it's, it's harder to go that way. So you want to train more in the parasympathetic state. And then let's just say when you hear that buzzer go, when you have to do your race, or if someone snaps the ball when you are doing, you know, on the football play, then all of a sudden you, you just, you don't have to think about it and you just zone in and you go into that sympathetic state and you, you do the play. And then as soon as the play is done, you need to learn to get out of it mm-hmm. right away because you don't want to stay in there. And so it's letting the body decide when you need to be in it, it. versus like, oh, I need to amp myself up for this um, because I, I don't think it really works that way. I don't, I don't think you truly get to choose when it is it's you know it's more about your response to stress and if you don't have a good response to stress then it doesn't matter you're going to be in the state anyways and we know that staying in that state for long periods of time is is not good for it for anything so yeah it'd be hard to imagine i could play a good game of basketball if between every explosive play i'm maintaining a quick and rapid breathing pattern (laughs) i'm probably going to be shooting very poorly and making some bad decisions and then be really fried after the game um so I, one thing you had said uh, that I did want to touch on before we get into energy systems was uh, intention. And I remember this is, uh, I'll have to put this in the show notes. This is one of my favorite videos um, just about ever. And it was uh, Tommy John and Vladimir Turgu's, um And Tommy's been on this podcast a few times. They were doing a five-minute ISO lunch on video. And I think Tommy said, he's like, it wasn't bad until I looked at my watch at about four minutes and something seconds. And then it got really, really bad. And I, that's just like what you were talking about. Um, so, but I was going to ask why from a, a mind, body, brain, hormone perspective, does that, well, as soon as you break intention, um, I think you had mentioned it already, but I was just curious exactly why that was. And I think, I don't know if this fits in with the lobster research and the serotonin, because I just want an excuse to ask you about that. But if uh, why, why that intention loss causes that just, just destruction of of the ease of it all yeah so kind of touching base in the beginning of the podcast so when you when you lose the focus um then there you have to restart kind of that whole process um and it just requires a lot of energy in the body to to break down that acetylcholine and then to reinitiate it just requires Mm. a lot of energy so if you can if you can hold on to the intention then it keeps that um, acetylcholine from breaking down it. And then you're able to continue doing what you're doing. Um, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier than if you keep losing intention. Um, but so the intention is really important because if you can stay focused on that one thing, 
then you're 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 forcing your body to have to adapt at that single task. And that single task right now is holding this lunge. And so you're going to start to recruit everything in your body to make sure that you achieve that task. And again, the task is simple. It's just hold this lunge, you know, making sure your, your knee is 90 degree angle, front knee is 90 degree angle. Your, your shin is perpendicular. Your thigh is parallel to the ground back knee as far as you can like those those just simple four or five cues that you need to do in a lunge and number one and then the last one is also making sure your chest is staying erect um and what's so important about keeping the chest up and the chest erect is there was this study that i came across and it was uh, i want to say it was a pharmaceutical rep guy who was speaking at a ted talk and he was saying that um these lobsters uh, I think he was trying to sell like an antidepressant medication, but that's beside the point that they would inject these lobsters with serotonin and they had so much serotonin running through their system is that they would become stiff, so stiff in the erect position. So meaning their back was arched, their chest was just up and they couldn't move from that position. And so what they concluded was that when you actually stand erect, and let's just say maybe it's like standing with intention or attention or position of power mm-hmm. that your your body thinks that um, it's or it's, it's getting good feedback in a sense. And you will actually release serotonin mm-hmm. while being in that position. And the same goes the other way. If you look at people that are hunched over and kind of curled up in a ball, you know, that's more of a fearful state. You might release more like adrenaline or, or something else that's um, more of a stress, uh, a negative stress response. So you can actually conclude that if you stand in an erect position, then you will actually release more serotonin. And serotonin obviously is a happy neurotransmitter. So when you're in a isometric, you want to give yourself every advantage into keeping the position or making sure that your body recruits all the body systems to make sure that you can hold this position. And so, like I said, I spoke earlier about talking to yourself, talking to yourself, giving yourself positive reinforcement um, will help release dopamine standing erect um, or your chest up and open. And then also making sure that you're breathing from your belly um, or standing erect or chest up is serotonin breathing from your belly is going to help you stay in that parasympathetic state. Um, And then it's, it's all those collective things and it's adding up and you hold your intention and the body starts to figure out what it needs to do to maintain these things. And that's when you start getting all these awesome gains because you, it's either do or die at that point, you're doing it. And now your body has to adapt and it's doing all those things or you either, you can't do it. Right. And you, you lose your intention or you just altogether fail and then the, the adaptation stops. And so the more you can kind of push on keeping that intention, the better results you're going to get with the five-minute isometric. So there's really more to it than just how need to hold for five minutes. I need to just get to five minutes and then that's it. And then I'm going to be good. <laughs> Every time I do an isometric, you need to think, well, what's my intention behind this isometric? And it can vary, right? Like you could just be like, well, I want to make sure that my chest stays up for as long as possible. I want to make sure my knee stays up or I'm just going to sit here and stare and I'm going to focus on my breathing the entire time. Whatever the intention is, just make sure that you hold that same intention for the entire five minutes. It's going to help you progress 
with whatever isometric you are doing. Um, and it's very hard. It's not like it's an easy thing. Yeah, to do, but no, not easy. Yeah, nothing, nothing um, that's really truly valuable in life though is, is easy. <laughs> and it's, uh, I just, um, man, I, I hearing you talk about this, it just really the thing that resonates to me is really it's not the what it is the how and i think our industry so much i, I may, maybe i say ours because i know you're a chiropractic, a chiropractic neurologist and i'm more in the strength and conditioning world but what i've found is i i feel like a lot of strength coaches just want an exercise and a prescription because i see i remember it might have been your previous podcasts i don't remember exactly which one but i started getting just seeing a lot of people doing iso lunges and a lot of it for the tendon benefits. I think to get it for the tendon benefits, you don't really have to do it right at all by any means. It's just hold the position. The tendon is going to find some healing and, and some, figure it some, out. Yeah. Yeah. Analgesia or whatever you call it. It's like, that's pretty easy, but I would see a lot of people posting and they, they tag me in it and like doing an ISO and like, it's not even like the person's leaning forward, the back, the ISO lunge, like they're leaning forward. They have bad posture. The back leg is bent. Like it's like, there's there's not a lot of, there's definitely no pulling down into the bottom position going on at all or anything like that. It's just, here's a hold. Isometrics are cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, you do them and you you will get some tendon benefit. And I will say that that's an important part of the job of a strength coach because it's going to help people reduce injuries. But it's like, there's so much more in this. There's, there's so much more yeah. that you can go doing a simple thing. And that's another thing that I've kind of really caught on to the last few years. It's just find these little simple, um, I would call them like attractor wells, like in Franz Bosch and there's a motor learning landscape and the, the, like the hard facets of technique that are fixed are attractors, but it's almost like this attractor well that you can see a lot of things and work on a lot of things. And even I was, as you were saying it, I was thinking too, I did an episode with Chris Corfist and he was talking on the back end of that show about the mind and the body and, and the body being the mind. And that was a Douglas Hill talked about that a lot. But the idea of just, you know, what your posture is, is what your performance is going to be. And if you yell at the top of your lungs, I am the greatest or things like that, these powerful affirmations, the body, if you truly believe it and you don't have a cognitive disconnect or dis, uh, dissonance, then yeah. you can do it. Yes. But I think that there's a thing where, like, if I just bring a bunch of athletes in and say, all right, let's start screaming affirmations and, and staying at attention – now, I mean, if they don't know me very well, they're going to be like, what is this guy talking about? Uh, no, yeah. I, <laughs> uh, the athletes I asked to do that, I had some good, you know, we had some good experience together. There was some buy-in and some belief there. Uh, but I feel like an isometric is almost an excuse, if you will, to, 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 to bring this stuff in. Because, hey, now we're doing an exercise. And so, okay, now let's, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's a good medium that athletes can kind of meet you at if, you, if it would be weird just to outright start doing more mind body stuff it's just a nice like place for everything to come together that you're you could yeah. be trying to get otherwise you're unintentionally teaching them how to connect the mind and body <laughs> yeah yeah especially in seeing how it happens seeing how fatigue changes that over time uh okay cool so i do want to get this energy system portion um and so one of the, this is like when we were having these discussions like i think about a month ago like it was just one of those moments where connections were just going off in my brain as to previous athletic experiences and things I've seen in myself and others. And that's the idea of using energy systems to recover other energy systems. And I know, I believe it was our very first talk. Maybe it was the last one, but I think it was our first one where we talked about as you go through the isometric and you mentioned it on the beginning of this show, as you go through the isometric, like a five minute hold or something, you are going through a series of energy systems. One will fatigue, the other will pick up the slack. 
Um, yeah. but, but the huge thing that I just am like, this is so powerful is the ability of, um, one energy system to recover the other one. Uh, and I know you've had some cool anecdotes and ideas with that. And I think this is, I mean, th- this maybe is more of the, the what than the how. I know there's a lot of how with this too, but tell, talk about how using a short system can recover a long system or vice versa. Yeah. So we talked about in the, I think the very first podcast. Um, so just kind of recap that. I mean, every, uh, we cycle through four energy systems, um, in the, in the big picture, there's actually more going underneath the surfaces, but for simple terms, it's four systems. We have the initiation of muscle contraction. We have the anaerobic, then we follow the aerobic, and then lastly, the Cori cycle. And so every time you enter one of the energy systems, it starts the process, the recovery process of the previous uh, system. So um, my anaerobic is going to recover my ATP energy. Um, my aerobic is going to recover my anaerobic and my choreocycle is going to recover uh, my aerobic um, and so forth. So it's kind of cool um, to really put that to the test. I've kind of had to go through some experimentation with myself and, you know, what does that truly mean? And I'm going to say a quote that really stuck with me too. And this is, this is a huge Jay Schroeder uh, quote, um, you know, coming from him is when you, when you train, um, you want to train or, or in, in his system, he says that when we train, we train to recover and we don't train to strain. And I think in this day and age, a lot of people train to strain and then they think the recovery happens after they strain. And what Jay Schroeder, I'm assuming was implying is that no, you use your actual training to recover essentially while you are training. So when you tie in the energy systems to that, you have to think, okay, well, how can I achieve that? So if one energy system truly recovers the next, then I'm going to start doing exercises that are going to stress one energy system. Um, and then, and then I'm going to do another exercise that is going to stress the energy system after that and see if it really recovers the previous energy system. So it's not really anything to do with, the type of exercise is just um, getting the stress of the energy system. And so, for instance, if I'm doing an anaerobic uh, exercise, which is just doing an exercise that has the most intensity, but it's going to be in the time frame of 10 to 30 seconds. And so let's just say I'm doing reps of something. And again, you don't really want to use weight because weight is going to kind of defer the results um, because weight, you're training more of like a muscle versus the energy system so the energy system doesn't really, you don't really need weight to do that so let's say i'm going to do reps for you know x amount of time and then i'm going to do something that's very aerobically um and you you know the biggest thing i can think of when i do something aerobically is my breath because aerobic respiration requires oxygen so i'm going to sit there and i'm going to breathe um the most efficient that i can um, in hopes that it's going to recover my anaerobic system. And so what you do is you do something for 10, 30 seconds, and then you'll sit there and you'll breathe for, let's just say, a minute, a minute and a half. And then you go back and do the same exercise for 10 to 30 seconds, and then you sit there and breathe for another minute, minute and a half. And what I found that is I actually could do my 10 to 30 um, or second exercise. Um, I could do it. I felt, I felt stronger. I felt more powerful. I felt faster 
doing it um, after every time I recovered or used my breath to recover hmm. the previous energy system. Um, and so it was a it was a really cool feeling because you think when you do those things that you're going to get you know worse or you're not going to be able to quite be at max intensity because I had just done something max intensity. Um, but if you really do it correctly and you figure out a way to recover um, the the previous energy system you just did, you can actually go back and you can do that same exercise stronger than you did before. Um, so another good example is like. Um, so, or let, can we use your example? Yeah, yeah. Please use it? mine. Otherwise, I was gonna say because yeah. I was all excited about it. So, so um, one that you know, me and Joel were talking about is when he had a, a thing where he you were doing a, a high jump, right? Uh, long, it was like long, uh, long jump, uh, long jump and hurdles. Yeah. But it might high jump probably is in there too at some point. But yeah. So let's just say uh, a long jump is a you know a very explosive. Only lasts what two seconds. You know you're. you're you're winding up, you jump, you land, that's about it. So you're definitely staying within that first energy system, that ATP mm-hmm. and muscle or initiation of muscle contraction. So then if you need to recover that, you would need to do something in the anaerobic phase. So anything that's going to last between 10 to 30 seconds. Um, so if you jump, right, and then you have X amount of distance, and then you do your anaerobic phase um, to recover your initial, then in theory, you should be able to keep jumping, if not the same distance, but farther every single time. And so I think you had that result, right? So you, as you would, you would do the anaerobic exercise, you'd immediately go back to your first exercise, and you were able to complete the exercise with same amount of intensity, if not even more, to go farther and things like that. Um, And that's what happened, correct? Yeah, yeah, I was I was stone cold for like my first two jumps in the series or three or two, I think, I don't know, it was a four jumps and fouls. Anyways, first couple jumps were like nine, mid nineteens or something, or maybe just cracking 20, but not really. Then I went and ran the finals of the one ten hurdles, which was a 16 second or so race for me. That wasn't very fast, but <laughs> it was a headwind. Okay. Um, anyways, but that's <laughs> max like body weight and max, and then walk back to long jump and jump 20 feet, 10 and was just kind of like, so a whole foot farther. Um, and, that's, I think as people know that and track that that race quote unquote warmed you up, but they don't actually, no one ever puts that into training ever. Like not ever, but it's just is so rare. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, that's uh, that like why it. it's like, why wouldn't you do that in training? And so what I found is that the harder I gave effort into my quote unquote recovery exercise, then the more I would feel explosive in the first exercise I was doing. So, and that's a lot of people have a hard time grasping that concept too, is well, they want to maybe conserve, you know, um, energy in their tasks so that they could, you know, go back and do their initial task, you know, better. Mm-hmm. But what I found is that if the, the more you give maximal effort in that recovery exercise you're doing, then the more, um, the more explosiveness or the more better, the better you feel going back into that first exercise. And it's a huge leap that you kind of have to take um in your paradigm because Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense in the normal strength and conditioning world um and but if if you just stick with it and do it and you actually learn to to do the task at hand at maximal effort and that's when intention comes back into play too because your intention has to be i'm going to do this as hard as i can 
because I know that if I do this recovery exercise as hard as I can, it's going to recover my previous energy system just as much. So the more you stress, right, the more gain you're going to get. Um, and like I said, you can do that for any, literally any exercise. And so this is why the five minute isometrics, they actually do recover you because when you go into that chorea cycle, then you are recovering those previous energy systems, the aerobic, anaerobic, and ATP. And it's a very hard concept, but when you're done with that isometric and it feels like you can't move, like I know, I've I've been there, right? Like you literally collapse to the ground. You've been holding a lunge for (laughs) so long. But if you literally just, just take a couple breaths, get up, and just do something right after that you may think you're not capable of doing because your legs hurt so much, you would be surprised. I'm like, oh, wow, I actually still can jump pretty high mm-hmm. after I do an isometric. I still can go run if I really wanted to. And again, it's just it's this huge leap that you have to or a hurdle you have to get over in, in, in your thinking. Um, but if you literally do it, like, like, why wouldn't you be able to run faster? It's just our body is designed to do these things. And it's pretty cool once you've kind of experienced it for yourself. So, You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, I know, I forget who had mentioned that, but like the idea of, maybe it was another Jay Schrader thing, but like having done, like come off a five-minute ISO push-up and then you're warmed up, quote-unquote, to go bench your max or close to it or something like that, which I've tried that experiment personally with athletes and failed. However, they were athletes who hadn't bent much practice at the ISO push-up, I think. So, therefore, I was like, oh, you guys are going to bench your max after this. That was the big joke. And that they didn't yeah. bench, they were smoked. But again, I think if they weren't breathing right, they hadn't experienced much experience and capacity with the movement. Maybe they weren't doing lengthening contractions. There's a lot of reasons. I think uh, I, I, I haven't given up on that. I, also, I don't say that I haven't given up, but I will say I've... But I, I, this was standing though. The shorter stuff, I know absolutely have done it, and it works. Like the hur- the the hurtling and long jump example. Um, my highest I touched uh, in high school, like vertically jump wise, at least um, outside of track and field in basketball, I touched like three inches above the top of that square on top of the hoop after basketball practice one day, and that was. Uh, I mean, that's like eleven seven. So that's like my reach is eight one. I mean, that's a. That's a pretty substantial vertical. Um, yeah. And that was right after doing a ton of like suicide sprints on the basketball court and just blasting it. And a suicide sprint takes about maybe like 25 to 30 seconds. I, I don't remember. I didn't, t- we didn't time them, but I mean, it's probably, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's in that maybe mid, mid 20s range. And we were, and it was max a lot of them because my coach kept like, egging me on to race the point guard and say, telling me how fast I was and da 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 and you know and, and so those were intense and we did them a lot and it was like a block of maybe three weeks it's funny it's not like my coach had it as a block but I just remember there was this point where I hadn't really been lifting that much and then we were doing that all the time and I didn't have energy left for lifting really um, but I just remember just being so explosive they were throwing me ridiculous alley-oops that day too it was crazy and I couldn't have done that just walking into practice after, you know, just doing some warm up drills or anything, you know, I had to get into that energy system to be able to blast that. And so after one of our recent conversations, well, two things, I think one, I was doing a cool workout where we were doing me and my training partner were doing like squat cleans, uh, like sets of two or something like that. And then after we do about two rounds, we go run a, a suicide sprint in about a basket. It was a little shorter than the basketball court, but about a 20 
think it took us about 26, 27 seconds, and we were racing each other. So we do the three sets of two, go run a 27-second sprint, just blast it, then rest, mm-hmm. come back, ladder up again in the cleans, do sets of two, come back, blast the suicide sprint. And I was, I got so much, like, I just felt so strong doing that. Like, it just so recovered those sets of two and it makes me think too like charles polquin i think would wave load like ones and sixes like on reps and you just think it's like well how how does this happen like how is this recovering but it does and um yeah does that you said earlier i wrote this note down uh the cori cycle something about the cori cycle and protein synthesis could you go because i was thinking well recovery like how does this recovery work like from a is it like super compensating atp is it something with the nervous system uh I mean, what's what what is being recovered? What substrates are? I mean, it works. I mean, I, I'd challenge anyone you know listening to this to do like a max hurdles race or run a fast uh, hundred or two hundred and those types of things, and you'll you can feel that stuff. Um, but how does that recovery work in when it all shakes yeah. up? Yeah. Well, well, two things. I'm gonna say something earlier when you made those kids hold a push up and then they said they could do their max bench. So <laughs> obviously there is there is a practice that goes into this um, type of training. And if you don't learn to properly pull yourself into position or correct muscles, then you're essentially using muscles. So the way I explain it is gravity. So when you pull yourself into position, you're using you're using gravity to assist you you're essentially working with gravity versus if you are pushing away or you're using muscles that are resisting gravity, then um, it's a lot harder and taxing on, on certain muscle groups. And so if you do a push up and let's say you just are resisting gravity, then when you're done, yeah, it's going to be really hard to basically push up because you're essentially using the muscles that you would push up a bench versus if you're pulling down into a push up position, you're, you're using the muscles that are going to pull the bar down. So if you just spend five minutes pushing away, then obviously you're going to go try to do a bench. It's going to be really hard to do that. So there's, there's obviously learning to pull yourself into position is a, is a, is a long journey. Um, that is, I wouldn't say it's long, but it's a journey. You definitely have to figure out how to use the right muscles. It's a huge component of doing isometrics. Maybe that's a different topic or a podcast we can talk about, but yeah, for the Corey cycle, when you, uh, initiate the process of the Corey cycle, um, or sorry, when you get into the core cycle, it starts initiating the, um, glu- it's called gluconeogenesis. And that's basically the breakdown of protein um, to be utilized as energy. So it turns it into glucose and then you're able to use energy. Um, but what's cool about that is um, it's, it's just, it makes that energy system really efficient. So now you can go back and use that whenever you need to. Um, and so usually when we, when we train, we don't go into that system. Um, and so it's kind of like that you don't use it, you lose it type mentality. And so gluconeogenesis gets a bad rep. I don't, I don't know why, but there's a lot of people who is like, oh, it's the breakdown of protein for energy. So uh, people immediately assume that it breaks down your muscle because muscle is made out of protein. Um, and it actually doesn't do that. Like if, if you just eat protein, it actually just uses the protein that you eat. Um, now, if you're in a, you know, um, situation where you're starved and um, then your body will eventually start breaking down the, the muscle, but that, that doesn't happen in this day and age. No one, no one's really hungry. Um, 
at least in the American culture that we live in, we definitely have a lot of excess food. So gluconeogenesis is just the breakdown of protein to be utilized as energy. So it's just another way that our body has another resource that we can utilize to make sure we do the task at hand. So if we get really good at utilizing that energy system, then we're going to, we're going to create energy um, when maybe our glycolysis gets depleted or maybe we're not able to get fully breaths in. So now we're going to resort back to this final energy system. And it's just another way that our body is designed to, to give us whatever we're demanding it. And so when you can utilize that, it's just another tool you have in your box. And so that only gets initiated when you go into the Cori cycle. And so it's just hard to get there, but it exists. And actually gluconeogenesis, we, we do every single day when we wake up, our body um, breaks down protein and get utilized uh, into glucose to help us get up. This is why we have energy when we wake up. Because obviously we haven't eaten anything. We've actually been fasted for a very long time. So our body uses gluconeogenesis a little every morning to make sure that we can wake up and start our day without actually having to go and eat something, quote unquote. Yeah, energy, um, physiology and energy systems would have been a lot more interesting if you were teaching it and we were doing all this stuff. I would just, uh, because I I could just pin it to stuff, you know, it's versus it just being this kind of, here's what's going on. and, And then you actually make your prescriptions and you never really get beyond that. Um, I just, it's just cool to see these things show up even in, um, the energy system, even out. And I was going to say another anecdote I did was recently just running, um, like, like one is kind of at a tempo pace. And then after I run two or three of them, I do like some max bounds for 20 meters, like a short system burst. And then instantly those one fifties got faster, like after the bounds. So it's just cool to see yeah. how those can go different directions for the stimulus. And I've seen swim coaches do that too. And I think swim coaching versus other things like strength and conditioning or track and field, I think they break more rules just doing what kind of works, quote unquote. Um, Like they'll do, I've seen that kind of principle play out and swim much more than I would ever see in a track and field uh, scenario or setting. So yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff and, and good stuff to think about. Well, hey, Mark, that was—I mean, man—that's I could talk about prescriptions and things like that for these energy systems like all day. And I think it might even be in like the DB Hammer. I think I don't think I know that stuff is in that DB Hammer book. Again, I DB Hammer. Who Nick? I feel like Jay must have had an influence on that thing. But just the different energy yeah, systems and the brackets and wave loading. But I just it gives a whole new dimension to wave loading because I think we will think of wave loading as like you know pairing strength with speed and stuff. But just the, to think of the energy systems leveling too is really cool. So um, man, I I really appreciate the talk today. I know just just this these great two big ideas of the how of the ISOs and then the energy systems, tons of things for me to uh, continue working with. And I'm sure it'll be great information for everyone tuning in. So uh, how can people find you if they, uh, if they want to learn more about you or what you're doing, you got an Instagram handle, social media. Uh, yeah, I just, I guess the only one I use is Instagram. I don't really post. I'm not active, but if you want to send me a DM, it's Dr. Mark Wetzel. And then, um, that's pretty much it. I'm pretty low key yeah. on the whole social media. Yeah. Low key, yeah, that's good though. That's a good thing. Yeah. One day, one day, uh-huh. I, maybe I will be too. So, all right, all right, man. Well, hey, it's good talking to you, Mark. Have a good day, and thanks, thanks again. Thanks for having me. You too. All 
All right. Thanks for tuning in for another podcast. Appreciate you guys being here with us. Man, that was just an information-dense show, and I came out of that with so much. Uh, If you enjoy the show, don't uh, hesitate to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. Uh, I would really appreciate that. It would help us out a lot. Also, we want to give one last shout-out to our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. Be sure to go and check out their website, uh, their blog, their online store, and support what they are doing. All right, that does it for this week. We will see you guys next one. Have a good one.